back them dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Help Bill Boy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here Hey everybody and welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep in the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. Today's episode focuses on Meryl's 1993 drama The House of the Spirits, which co-starred Glenn Close, Jeremy Irons, Winona Ryder, and Antonio Banderas. It's an interesting movie and we had a fun time discussing it. We just found out this morning that Meryl was nominated uh, for the movie The Post in the Critics' Choice Awards. The film itself got eight total nominations, including Best Actress for Meryl, Best Actor for Tom Hanks, Best Director for Steven Spielberg, uh, Best Picture, and a variety of others as well, including Best Acting Ensemble. So um, as these nominations continue to come in for this film, we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, We don't discuss it because we had already recorded the episode, but I wanted to let you know that we are aware of it and we'll discuss it in our next episode. Um, By that point, the Golden Globe nominations will probably be announced as well. As always, uh, please check us out. Meryl made us an Instagram page. It's Meryl Street Podcast. I think we referenced that in the episode a few times as well. You can follow Meryl at NeverlandTheaterCompany.com. You can find me at The Song A Day Project on YouTube. It's all one word squished together, The Song A Day Project. Or go to my website, www.ZacharyScottJohnson.com. Scott only has one T in it. I think we're ready to start the show. Give that desk clerk a dime, and you can just tell him that I'm out of his All right, everybody, welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you this afternoon, Meryl McNally? I'm excellent, Zach. How are you? I'm pretty good. This is always my favorite part of the show when we pretend like we haven't already been talking for a half hour. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of the illusion, folks. Yes. This this podcast thing, you know, it just we come up and we're automatically recording. It's not true at all. Um, yeah, no. what what have you been up to? I, I know what you've been up to, but you know, what what do you want to tell the rest of the world you've been up to? Oh, guys, it's well, it's sort of, I mean, it's a bummer, but my, my cat, my cat of 10 years, my, my precious dude, he, he got really sick and I had to put him down last week, which is really awful. Yeah. It was so sad. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been, I've been moping about, this is a nice little bright light and I'm just going to sh- put this out there that I have the most amazing, supportive and wonderful friends who have um, sent me care packages and flowers and really, really sweet. It's really sweet. Yeah. And then I've been doing crazy theater stuff per usual. So I've been lawyering by day and theater, theatering by night and I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> what have you been up to? Um, same. And then of course, watching Meryl Street movies in between. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, nothing, nothing too exciting, nothing out of the ordinary. I'm my, I'm my friend. I told you, you know, before we started recording my, one of my two dogs ate two giant chocolate bars and, um, somebody gave us so, but she's fine now. She's totally fine. A thousand dollars at the vet later, you know, that was the most expensive chocolate bars that we never even got to eat. Somebody gave them to us and, you know, (laughs) Oh, well, the dog's okay, uh, and yeah. that's that's the important thing. Um, so we've both had, although yours wins, of course, but, um, you know, we've both had there animal so crises. There's so many people right around the time change. I I know so many people who had serious issues with their pet. Mm, yeah, there's something going on. It was very strange, yeah, something in the air. You, in New Mexico, you have daylight savings time, right? Yes. Okay, I know that seems like yes, a... Okay. Yeah. I, I know that seems like a weird question to anybody, you know, anybody who's not from the area, but I used to live in, in Arizona and they, they don't do daylight savings time, at least in the Phoenix area where I lived, which I always thought was really strange having grown up in the Midwest that just, it didn't occur to me that you could like opt out of that, but you can apparently. I know, right? <laughs> it seems like an automatic thing that just happens. Right. You know, I have a hard time. I, I like I like savings. I like having more daylight. I have a hard time when we switch back. It's nice to gain an hour, but I I struggle with it getting dark earlier. 
Yeah. Oh, I do too. I think we all do. I mean, I think yeah. that's that's why yeah. there's kind of this weird push. Not weird, actually. I think there's this push now for for daylight savings time maybe being somewhat obsolete in in that because there are a lot of people who who don't like you know don't care about the early morning hour. They want the hour at the end of the day. You know, not even at the end of the day. It's hard when it's like five o'clock or four o'clock and it's dark. It feels like I don't want to go out now. It's it's hard to. Yeah. justify but um yeah. yeah so have you seen anything over the last couple of weeks that's been interesting to you yes i just finished watching um it came out three days ago so please don't judge i finished watching godless on netflix mm. new western with michelle dockery and jack o'connell and jeff daniel yeah and mcnary and that weaver it is phenomenal is it good i recommend it to everybody it's amazing it's high on my list very high on my list yeah um it's so it's so it's one of the best westerns i've seen in a very long time they usually miss the mark i haven't seen a good one in a long time and this one was excellent wow that's really great and they filmed in new mexico oh yeah nice yeah, they built this amazing town, and there was full, I mean, it was full-blown buildings outfitted, not just flats, and they left it in place for other, for other um, films and shows to, to shoot at, and it's pretty spectacular. Cool. Cool. That's really yeah. good. Um, I was reading something, I think it was Sam Waterston that was talking about... Um, yes. Because they're... I, I, the title of the article was that the actors don't want to do season two. And I, re, I was like, oh, what happened on this show that the actors don't want to come back? And it had nothing to do with it being a bad experience. They just felt like the story had like a beginning, a middle, and an end. And they felt like, you know, they wanted it to just be the story that this miniseries was. I think that the idea was there are other shows out there that maybe go on a little bit too long and they felt like it was perfect just the way it was. And so... This might be it. This really is a seven-hour film, okay. and you know it, it. It deals with it, it deals with some really fantastic issues um, that that you don't usually see in westerns. And I, I mean, the premise is that this little mining town they have a mine accident, and eighty, I think, eighty-two of of the miners die and it leaves all the women and children in this town essentially by themselves. There are some elderly men still alive and some young, you know, very young men who haven't gone to work in the mine yet, but for the most part, it's all women and how they, how they really fend for themselves under those circumstances. And so, and then there's obviously, there's several, there's several other plots going and you have a very traditional Western villain and Jeff Daniels, but also, um, you know, they managed to expand upon that where you really, I mean, you really love him as a villain. Hmm. <laughs> and then you have, you know, your traditional, your traditional good guy, Jack O'Connell, um, you know, bad guy turned good kind of deal. There's several, there's, it's phenomenal. But it is, it's a traditional Western in that there is absolutely a beginning, middle, and end. And the way it ends, you just, I mean, talk about taking the air out of it if you did a season two. It's just not meant to have one. It's a miniseries. Okay. Well, that's good. I feel like when the actors, and I, like I said, it was Sam Waterston, I think that said it, but I think it was like during a panel from the sounds of it and the other actors agreed. So I would think, you know, the actors are probably somewhat in control, right? They can just say, no, I'm not coming back. And if enough of them refuse to come back, Netflix won't do this you know i i hope that they're kind of serious about it but i'm anxious to see it um it's high on my list i got i've i've met jeff daniels a few times and i got to do a song with him for the song a day project a couple years ago and um you know i just i'm always so interested in his work he's just one of those people it's you know once you like meet them and see you know how great and nice they are too of course you like feel even more attached to their work but like you know he's just one of the underappreciated ones i think who just doesn't always get thought of in you know as one of our really good actors but i think he is so i'm anxious to see it he's brilliant He's so brilliant in this. Honestly, that's the only sad thing about saying there's not going to be a season two is that everyone really is brilliant and you're very attached to every character. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you want to 
you want to stay with them. Right. You know, it's a sign of a good show. But, um, yeah, he's phenomenal. You know who steals it is Scoot McNary and Merritt Weaver. They play. Really? He plays, um, he plays a sheriff who's going blind and kind of goes on this soul-searching journey. And um, his sister is Merritt Weaver, who is just sort of tired of playing the feminine role because somebody needs to take charge. And so she just she just does it. And she's phenomenal. They're both phenomenal. Did you, did you watch Nurse Jackie? I never did, no. Oh, Merritt Weaver's in that, too. She's really great in that. In is that she? Show. Oh, yeah. She's like the second lead in that show. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I've... Um, I've you know, I saw her. I saw her in an episode of New Girl, and she's always sort of been on my radar um, because I've never. I always hear really good things about her as an actress, and she was so refreshing in this. That's great. Really, really fantastic. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Cool. Everybody, watch it and tell me what you think. Yeah. All right. Well, that's. Uh, hopefully, I'll have that one for you next time. <laughs> That's I'm anxious to see it. Netflix. Yeah, well, and especially being a connoisseur of westerns, you know. Right. I've seen a lot of them. I'm very picky because there is. I think what Hollywood has tried to do recently, it, uh, well, I say recently in the last decade, fifteen years, is that you know they they've tried to get away from the formula, the western formula, where there's. You know, good guy, bad guy, good prevails, sort of black and white. And I do get that, wanting to go to a more nuanced story. But then you're also then completely doing away with the genre. Like, mm-hmm. they're it's wrapped up in it. Right. And I've been sort of waiting. The last really, really good, solid Western I remember seeing is probably Tombstone. I'd say there's probably an argument for open range in there um i know that i'm you know people might argue with me i'd like to hear everybody else's opinion but those those two are kind of the last two i really remember seeing that were solid and uh even open range is a little lengthy right and um so i've been i've been waiting for somebody to mix genre in an appropriate way where you're dealing with with um important issues that you're not formulaic, that you are testing the boundaries of the genre without ruining it. Mm-hmm. And they did. It's cool. fantastic. Cool. I'm yeah. looking forward to that. What have you been watching? I have, I think, four things, but they're all really quick hits because I don't really have much to say about any of them, actually. I, I saw one thing in the theater, and it was a situation where I had exactly two hours, you know, and it was like a go to the go to the theater because it was right across the street from where I was. And, you know, what's playing right now because I have two hours to see something. And uh, the movie, yeah. the movie that was playing right then was Daddy's Home 2, the Will Ferrell, Mark Wahlberg oh. thing. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. You know, it wasn't so bad. I, I it, it definitely wasn't good. I, I, I'm not going to put a recommendation behind it. I actually liked the first one okay. Um, my problem with this one was, well, I had two problems with it, actually. But the first of which is, I, it didn't seem like they could decide whether they were making a movie for kids or a movie for adults. It seemed like they just couldn't figure out which route they were going to go. Um, you know, that was like really kind of cheesy and sentimental at times, like, you know, very kids movie-ish, but then other times it was like they really wanted to push it, and it was like, well, you know, pick a lane. Um, But the other thing is, like, there's so much of this, like, political vitriol, you know, like, red versus blue kind of stuff going on in, like, everyday life, Mm -hmm. that movies are kind of an escape from that right now, Unless you specific, this kind of movie anyway, seems like an escape. Right. But then like you have Mel Gibson who, you know, I don't really want to support anything he's in at this point, but like, you know, he's, he's playing like this really cranky, you know, like let's shoot everybody, you know, kind of racist, kind of homophobic, like right wing guy opposite John Lithgow, who's playing like a super you know, exaggerated liberal guy. And it's like, you know, I don't know, like maybe, maybe we don't need that element. You know, it's not fun, I guess is what I'm saying to watch 
to watch Mel Gibson be kind of like a jerk. I I imagine that's what he's like in real life. I don't want to reward him for that, you know? Like, I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't really like that. It wasn't fun for me to watch him kind of be mean to everybody. But, um, so. Something that struck me about the trailer for that film, and I didn't see the first film, so I can't really pass judgment, is that it seems to really tap into cliches of what's masculine and what's not. Oh, yes. And what's proper American masculinity and what's not. Yep. And I found it, even in the trailer, to be offensive. Yep. It, that that's true, and I think that's that's a problem that this movie suffers from. It's not it's not an enlightened movie in any way, shape, or form. It's all about it's all about hyper masculinity, you know, and, and like you yeah. know these these compromises that guys make basically, which is ridiculous. So that's one. I, again, I actually I'm making it sound worse than it was because it, it wasn't horrible. It wasn't you know it's it was fine. It just wasn't uh, it wasn't funny. I didn't laugh. It was just kind of like okay, this is whatever. Um, yeah. The other ones that I saw uh, the couple what and again I'll, I'll really actually make these short ones. Um, I saw a movie called Kidnap with with Halle Berry. Um, oh yeah. Which as I as I was watching it, I found myself thinking a strange question and I wondered if you would have an insight into this, which is is Halle Berry has she become kind of the same thing that Nicolas Cage is? In the sense that like we've seen them be wonderful. I mean like Halle Berry in Monsters Ball is a performance for the ages. Nicolas Cage in Leaving Las Vegas is a performance for the ages. And yet they take these movies that are just awful. I mean, like, really, like, just, they're kind of fun, but they're, you know, they're they're not good movies. Yeah. And you have, you would think they would know that before they made the movie, that this is just not a good script. It's not a good concept. It's, um, I don't know. What do you think? I think you may be onto something there. I kind of wonder what material they're being offered. Right. Um... Which is probably a big part of it. And I, you know, I read a review of, of Kidnap um, on a blog I read, Laney Gossip. Everyone should check it out. It's fantastic. Um, and one thing they pointed out is that, you know, when an actress or when the entire filmmaking team is aware that they're making a B-level movie, that you can really tap into it. And go for it. And what ends up happening is that the B-movie becomes quite fantastic, even though everybody knows it's a B-movie, because everybody's... For instance, The Shallows with Blake Lively. Sure. Yeah, that's a good example. You know, everyone knows what they're involved in, and you go for it. Right. And and that was the element that was missing in Kidnap, is that it was almost there, and it just wasn't quite. And I don't know... I didn't see it, and so I can't verify whether or not that's accurate. Right. Um, but... Um, I think sometimes that's it. I don't know with Halle Berry. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. She really is wonderful. She so is. is. Nicholas Cage. I think Nicholas Cage had a lot of financial issues. I don't know if he still does. Yeah, please correct me if I'm speaking correctly, but I think he took a lot of jobs. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. And he also, I mean, I don't want to make the comparison in the sense that like Nicolas Cage to this day still does like five or six of those movies every single year. Like Nicolas Cage has pumped out yeah, more. He's yeah, he's pumped out more movies that nobody has ever heard of. And I've seen them all because <laughs> I see it all. I, I watch all of it. But, um, you know, Halle Berry doesn't do that. I think she is more particular and maybe there was something about this script i know she's a mom so maybe there was something about this script that like she emotionally attached to i will also say um another kind of thing with with yeah it really doesn't have anything to do with her except because it was her i thought of another movie that she was in called gothica back Uh in the day um a, a, th- a thriller kind of thing. This movie was, Kidnap, was so intense. You know, like it looked like, you know, kind really? of a, t- a typical thriller. But it's like, this is a child abduction thing. You know what I mean? Like it is really right. gritty. It is not fun. Like it was giving me heart palpitations because it was just so... Oh, wow. Yeah, it was really, it was really intense. It, it's not like popcorn, you know... So maybe there's something in the marketing that didn't work too. Yeah, you know, that's how I felt about Taken. 
Oh, really? With Liam Neeson. Like, well, yeah. I mean, I found it incredibly distressing. Right. <laughs> right. And I don't know if it's the same level or not, but... There was something about Taken that, like, I think because it was... Um, you never really saw her side of what was happening to her. Um, I guess it's been a while. Maybe right. we did and I've forgotten about it, but, like, it just became, like, about Liam Neeson kicking ass, you know? like 20 minutes into the movie for the next, you know, hour and over an hour. And then like, oh yeah, you, oh yeah, that's right. His daughter is now, you know, uh, has been sold into sex slavery. Holy cow. This is actually a real like issue, but I don't know. There was something about it that to me wasn't, you know. Yeah. You don't see as much of the daughters. It's her actual kidnapping is in there, which is tough to watch. And then, you get the idea of what's happening to her because of where the trail leads him, but you're right. I don't think you see her again until he finally, until the climax of the film. Right, right. So I don't know if I give Kidnap a, a big thumbs up or thumbs down. The last one that I wanted to bring up is one, I don't think we talked about it, but I know you saw it too because we were texting about it. Um, it was Robert Benton's suggestion about Maudie. Did we talk about that in the last episode? No, no. I've watched it since we talked last. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, I loved this movie. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Really, and, and I've got to say that I'm not a personal fan of Ethan Hawke. It's, I don't know why. Um, I think he's I think he's a fine actor. I've just never really followed his career or been interested in his films. And he's so sure. good in this. Yeah. I mean, just so good. And she, uh, Sally Hawkins, is a revelation. She's unbelievable. She's, she's unbelievable. And, you know, the funny thing is, um, they're saying she's pretty much a shoe-in as, you know, as an Oscar actress but not for this movie for the other movie really for which film i think it's called the shape of water um i should look oh, this yeah. up i should look this up to make sure i'm not speaking incorrectly no but, you're correct on the name I'm almost positive but i've seen the tra- i've seen the trailer for the film it looks so intense yeah but they're saying that basically Maudie was so good yeah it is it's with her and octavia spencer and michael shannon um actually basically they're saying Sally Hawkins for lead, Octavia Spencer is a reasonable shot for a supporting actress, and then in the supporting actor, Michael Shannon, Rick, Richard Jenkins, and Michael Stuhlberg, between the three of them, like at least one of them will be nominated, maybe, maybe more. It's the new Guillermo del Toro movie, um, right? So anyway, they're they're saying that you know Maudie, this movie that Sally Hawkins um, is in, uh, is. It, that performance was, you know, so good, but at the same time, it's going to be kind of like the preview to this this other movie that she's in. I don't know if it's based on other people actually having seen that movie or if it's just projection, like this time of year it can be. We shall see. So anyway, go see Maudie is, I think, the takeaway. Maudie and Godless are the suggestions this week. Seek out Maudie because Maudie is, um, you're going to have to find it somewhere, I think, but it's great. Yeah. I, well, yeah, you can you can definitely you can rent Maudie. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I did. Sure. And uh, yeah. And um, yeah, you, Michael. <laughs> I have to mention this. I have not seen it. And somebody out there, tell me if you have Michael Shannon. You know, when I think of Michael Shannon, I think of very serious roles. Uh-huh. He's a very serious guy. Yeah. And he has made a Christmas movie called Pottersville huh. with um, Ron Perlman and Ian McShane and Thomas Lennon, Judy Greer, Christina Hendricks. And it is, here's the plot. I'm going to read this to you all. The plot centers on Maynard, Michael Shannon, a beloved local businessman who is mistaken for the legendary Bigfoot during an inebriated romp through the town in a makeshift gorilla costume. <laughs> the sighting sets off an international Bigfoot media spectacle and a windfall of tourism dollars for a simple American town hit by a hard time. <laughs> and it's like it's like a quirky, bizarro Christmas movie. Wait, have you seen it? Have you seen this movie? No, oh. I have not seen it yet. But it's available. I found it on Amazon, and I'm going to have to watch it. Because, again, the blog I read reviewed it and said it's so strange. You can't even categorize it as good or bad. Wow. But it's just the most bizarre. And why Michael Shannon? 
Like, yeah. what did he decide to make this Christmas movie? Yeah, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. He's amazing. He's amazing. He's so good in yes. everything that he's in. He's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so, with I all... I did see Thor as well. I gotta throw that out there. Oh, you did? How was that? I forgot about that. It was phenomenal. Really? But okay. I knew it would be. Taika Waititi is amazing, and he... He's just... He's... He's just got a brilliant, he really does mock the superhero tropes, but still satisfies them, mm-hmm. which I think is a difficult line to, to walk. And it's just fun. It's really fun. Cool. Yeah I, yeah. I I sometimes struggle with the comic book movies, as we've talked about. I sometimes can't. I don't know what the hell's going on in those movies most of the time. Yeah. But. Yeah. This one, you know what was so nice about this one is that the action sequences were plot driven. Oh, okay. So... There was nothing. There was nothing unnecessary or too long. Okay, cool. Which is a really nice change. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you do. Uh, you do have to have some inside knowledge of the Marvel world and the characters. I mean, you can go see it and enjoy it without that, but it it makes it much funnier if you know at least uh, have a cursory knowledge of the of the existing characters that are out there. Right. Um, but I think almost everybody does at this point. Everybody except me. <laughs> <laughs> Holding out. I'm just ex- out. I'm excited that the movie theater close to me is actually showing three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. The like the new Martin McDonough, oh, Francis McDormand one. That's yes. the one that I'm dying oh, to see. So yeah, that and uh, Lady Bird. Everybody's excited about Lady Bird. I am too. Although there's something about three billboards outside Ebbing, uh, Missouri that I'm so excited for. Um, I can't wait to see that one. Um, and. So I think since the last time we spoke, we've got a trailer for The Post. Speaking of Oscar yes, stuff. Yes, we do. It's looking pretty good to me. I'll post, uh, I'll post the trailer. Oh, please do. Yeah, that'd be great. On our, on our, non-existent, face, our non-existent Facebook page, which will be up and running soon, everybody. Yeah, we're getting there. But we do have an Instagram page. Um, so yes, we do. Find us there. What is our username? Meryl Street Podcast. Okay, cool. Um. Yeah, the, so I don't know if you if you saw this, but they did the first screening of the post somewhere at some festival, and uh, it was an event that Spielberg and and Merrill and Tom Hanks and a few other people, I think um, I think Bob Odenkirk maybe were at. They did like a panel afterwards, and the movie got a standing ovation. They said a lengthy standing ovation. So. Um, we haven't heard much about it um, yet. I, I, there's been like no real buzz about it yet, except for that. That the one time it was screened, it got, right. it was received very, very well. But again, you kind of take that with a grain of salt. They were also in attendance, which I think probably, you know, sways things a little yeah. bit. Um, so, but I'm so hopeful that things are. I don't know. This just feels like it has all the. It feels like it's timely. It feels like it's going to be really well made. So I'm just excited. So excited. I'm really excited as well. Yeah. Well, shall we dive into this other movie that we're here to talk about today? Yes. I love how you're laughing. I know. We're, we've got to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, so today's episode is 1993's The House of the Spirits. To me, I kind of want to give some context for this movie in terms of like where Meryl was in her career because she had just come off this string of four comedies. Like really the first time she had ever done comedy. She did She-Devil, then Postcards from the Edge, then Defending Your Life, then Death Becomes Her, and then this, which is like one of the darkest like kind of hardest to watch movies and then it was kind of back to she did the river wild after this which is lighter but you know not not a comedy and then goes back to some like hardcore stuff bridges of madison county before and after marvin's room first do no harm dancing at lunasa one true thing music of the heart like you know she did all these movies in a row then the hours you know all all these movies that were pretty dark um so this is kind of the start of that going back to some pretty dark material yes very. So it's based on Isabella Allende's first novel called House of the Spirits. And I think it's actually published in 1982. Okay. So it had been around for about a decade. And it was, I 
I believe it was an international bestseller. It's a it's a really beautiful book, and I recommend that everybody read it. And I wish I could I wish I could read it in its in its first language um, because I imagine it's that much more beautiful. Yeah, it's a it's a rough. <laughs> It's a rough translation to screen. It's tough. The book has a, um, you know, and any, you know, literary aficionados out there, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it has a very um, sort of fantastic realism aspect to it. There's a magical element in the book that I imagine would be very difficult to capture on screen on a good day, and I think that's probably one of the drawbacks. But I, the, the book, the book centers on, um, I, I guess we say, um, you know, Meryl Streep. She plays Claire. It's the the Deval family. Uh-huh. I'm saying that right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, so there's, and it's it's several generations. So it covers what three, four generations of that family, and um, the unrest in Chile and the history, the history of that country. I don't know. Plot summary wise, I'm not doing a very good job. Anything to add? It, the plot summary is so complicated in this one because this is really an epic. I mean, this is really it goes through so much time period. You see these characters as kids, you see them as you know middle age, you see them as as young adults, you see them old. Like this movie travels a lot of ground. It is hard to do a, a summation of this one actually. Yeah, I mean, it really is. It's the true. It's the Trueva family. Clara was a Deval, and she marries Esteban Trueva, and he he comes from nothing. He's a miner, and he builds himself up from from the ground as a farmer, and he's part of this old world political system that you know throughout the course of the movie gets gets overthrown and it really sort of deals with the family's transition through that and then the personal relationships as well um you know it's packed full of brilliant actors jeremy irons glenn close meryl streep vanessa redgrave um winona writers in it quite young still antonio banderas yep more there's so many yeah armin mueller stahl is in it there's just um there's great actors top to bottom and that's kind of the thing is like when you see Meryl Streep, Glenn Close, Jeremy Irons, you know, in the same thing, you think, oh, And they're all wonderful. Yeah. They do a great job. Yeah. I mean, let's, I mean, what we're, what we're basically getting around and what we're coming to is that this is a book that's entrenched in its culture and is about its culture and is about Chile and it's cast full of white people. Right. That I think I mean, that's really the problem with it. Right. And I think that was pretty evident, like even when the movie came out, like Roger Ebert's review of it was talking about how, you know, they seem, especially Jeremy Irons, they said like feels like, you know, an English Earl rather than like a Southern plan, you know, like a South American you know, plantation owner, which is really true. Like he seems like somebody who's out of somewhere in Europe rather than somewhere in South America. And it's just, it's very confusing. And, you know, part of it too is like in the midst of all of this, we have Antonio Banderas, who is like, you know, actually, you know, seems like a good casting choice. But when there's... Correct. Right. That when there's, you know, a few people who seem like they're good casting choices mixed in with a lot of other people who probably as as fantastic as they are um don't seem like great casting choices it makes it stick out all the more you know winona ryder is just you know like as as pale and as white as can be i mean in a lot of ways they kind of all are meryl's very you know pale too uh it's i don't know there's just something about it that is just i don't know it, it lacks, um, you know, the the adaptation is rough as well, and oh, I feel bad for anybody who tries to distill that book down into a two-hour movie. Mm-hmm. I, I just, you can't, it would have been, I think it would have been more successful in the vein of, like, Thornburg as a miniseries. Right. You can take your time with the families and the generations, because that two hours, which you end up getting is these abrupt, I mean, the transition from him buying his farm to all of a sudden he's restless and goes out by the river and 
finds a girl to rape. I'm, you know, the transition is so abrupt. It's just the scene stuck in because they just had to get to the plot point. Right. So that they could continue on with the story. It's very, very rough. And then what ends up happening is that this sort of horrible moment doesn't, doesn't get the, um, the attention it should or, you know, it's, it's almost insulting how brief they toss it in there. <laughs> yeah. Here, we got to get this done so we can have our villain. Right. Yeah. I don't know. This movie is, um, I, I will say this movie is not by any means like a fun watch, but, um, I, I do think that I enjoyed it more this time than I had the last time that I saw it, which was within five years. I don't think I've watched it really recently, but I've seen it sometime within the last five years. Um, and I think I enjoyed it more this time than that time. I don't really know why. I just think it didn't hit me as hard this time. Yeah, I um, I did I did enjoy revisiting it. I saw it when it came around the time it came out, so I was maybe I was eleven or twelve when I saw it. I remember watching it with my mom, and I was too young to really understand the content um, or to really appreciate what I was watching it was I just remember feeling how epic it was right um and you know being aware that my mom was a big Meryl Streep fan and I did enjoy many parts of it the second go around I thought I mean Glenn their performances are wonderful I think Jeremy Irons is probably the worst miscast of the bunch um, just because you real, there has to be some element of Esteban Treva as a character that you really care about. He, he's not somebody known for his warmth on screen. Mm-hmm. And, and so he just looks villainous sort of from the beginning because they've dyed his hair black and given him this mustache and tried to make him look Spanish. And it just sort of makes him look evil and you can't get past that to appreciate the character in any way at least i couldn't right and so i just find him dislikable throughout which i don't i mean i think he's supposed to be somebody where you can see you know his flaws and his love for his family i know it's written in the scripts that way but you don't really ever feel that right i did I was so, I was very surprised by Meryl Streep's performance, and I don't know why, because she's consistently wonderful. Yeah. Um, but she captured uh, what I was going back to, that that book has, uh, in the book, her, char- her character Clara has supernatural abilities. She can move objects, she... Um, she can, she's sort of a seer in that she sees things before they happen. She has visions. And the way it's written into the book is so beautiful. Um, but I felt like Meryl Streep was able to capture that. Yeah. In a way that I found really powerful. It, it'd just be so difficult to do as an actor. And she does it so beautifully. And I was also pleasantly surprised to realize it was her daughter playing her younger. Yeah, it was Grace. Yeah. Yeah, she's, I mean, so ethereal. Yeah. And that really is, that sort of, that ethereal quality is in the book. And she captures that really, really beautifully. Yeah. Both of them do. Yeah. Well, as we've, as we've said, the problem is not really with the actors in this movie. Really, all of them are good. Glenn Close is very good, as she always is. Jeremy Irons is good. Um, You know, um, Winona Ryder has her moments. I think this was kind of in her learning phase. This was when she was doing like the age of innocence and, you know, some of the other movies that she was, she was kind of learning on the, on the fly. I was really struck by, um, how, I don't know if anybody will be with me on this. There's a scene where she's riding in a car and she looked exactly like Kira Knightley. She did. Yeah. I mean, like exactly like Kira Knightley. I, I was like, wow, that's, For a moment, I forgot what movie I was watching, and I was like, "What movie is this again?" Oh, yeah, wait, that's Winona Ryder. Holy cow! Um, Yeah, it was funky. That's crazy. I mean, I didn't, I didn't even process that until you said it. Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely, Mm -hmm. she does. She looks just like her. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I have always felt like I love, 
I love Winona Ryder, but I always get this feeling when I watch her in films that she's slightly embarrassed about what she's doing. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Like she's not quite comfortable with it, and it comes through to her performance. I'm with you. She's she's such yeah, a... Yeah, and it's in everyone. Yeah. It's in every movie. She's a she's an interesting one. We have a mutual friend who's who's quite obsessed with Winona Ryder, and uh, yes, we do. Uh, Winona Ryder is you know she is she can be very good, but she you know she has a certain kind of uh, style that is really unique to her. I think there's not many people who it would be hard to do a Winona Ryder. Yeah, imi- nothing compares. Yeah, it would be hard to do an uh, an impression of her. I think, but. Um, so I, I'm looking online and it says that Kim Basinger and Julia Roberts both turned down that role. Oh, wow. Could you see either of, of them in that, in that role? In Meryl Streep's role? No, no, no. Uh, in, uh, in Winona Ryder's role. Oh, Kim Basinger? She, um, no, absolutely not. Although I could see, I see why they offered it to Julia Roberts. She was the it girl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nineteen ninety-three. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I think she would have been. I. I think she would have been fine. She may have had too much power and balance with the other actors. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, they're both more confident um, actors for sure. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think. I mean, you know, when you look at the film as it is now, Julia Roberts would have been fine. Right. <laughs> I mean, it was clearly not, I don't know. I'm not sure. Do they do this now? I feel like particularly in the 90s, and I'm sure they do it now, and I'm delusional to think they don't. We're just immersed in it. Uh, you know, you cast the, you know, you cast the it person of 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 the time, uh-huh. and it's not always the best casting. Right. But it's about name power. Right. And, you know, box office draw. Right. And I, 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 you know, I'd like to think there's more of an attention to casting, but there, I feel like it was a smaller group at the time. Like, there was a group of it actresses, you know, in this period with Julia Roberts and Claire Danes and Winona Ryder and, you know, sort of the Little Women crew. Right, right. Well, yeah, and this is before Little Women. I'm looking at Winona Ryder's, you know, timeline right now. Of course, it just went away as I as I did that. But you know, she did was Little Women '96. It was after. It was after this. Let's see. It went away here. Okay. Um, but you know, before this, she did Beetlejuice, Heather's, um, Great Balls of Fire, which I think was a smaller thing for her. Edward Scissorhands, yeah. Mermaids, uh, Dracula, The Age of Innocence, and then this. So, Age of Innocence was before all of that. Age of Innocence wow. was before House of Spirits. So it was the same year as House of okay. Spirits. And then right afterwards, she kind of hit the stratosphere because Reality Bites and Little Women came out the next year, which was 1994. I think like 1994 was really like her, probably her peak. Although, I don't know, you know, yeah. between Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands and Heathers, you know, that's a nice little run of stuff too. Basically from yeah. like 88 to 94, she was... And then she started doing stuff like um, The Crucible and Girl Interrupted and Autumn in New York and, you know, yeah, not not quite as good. So um, she's not she's definitely not bad in the movie. It's just I felt like she was still learning. Like this kind of seems like the first like intense drama. And, you know, when you're on the same set as Meryl Streep and Glenn Close and Jeremy Irons, that's pretty intimidating. You know, that's got to be hard. Can you imagine being on set with Daniel Day Lewis? That's true. She did work with him the same year. Yeah, which was, you know, that's also Martin Scorsese, too. So, um. yeah, I mean, she didn't. um, I think part of her, so she doesn't have the same kind of gravitas by any means. But I think that's what has drawn us as a society to her because she's kind of ethereal and light. Right. And um, I just don't think it necessarily works in this part because, you know, that character's got some grit. Right. And some stubbornness. And um, I don't I don't think that necessarily comes through. Right. Right. But then again, she didn't have a lot of time for it to come through either. I mean, the script is, is almost bare bones. Yeah. Because they're just trying to get through the plot. Right. And even though the movie's... I mean, I don't think 
think Antonio Banderas has more than a dozen lines. Yeah, I thought about that too. His story is just kind of completely, you know, based on somebody else's perspective. Like you get really no, no information on him whatsoever. Um, and that, right. and that actually was right about his peak too. I would think, you know, that's Philadelphia, that's um, Assassins, and you know those those movies that he was in were right around the same time. Desperado. Um, you know, it's before Evita, but you know, it's that's right around his peak too. I think. Um, yeah. I don't know. This movie must have had at the time like huge Oscar pedigree, and then just kind of faded away. Um, it was nice to see Meryl Streep and Glenn Close in some scenes together. Yes, and I had sort of run around thinking that that Evening was the only film that Glenn Close, Vanessa Redgrave, Meryl Streep had sort of come together in, and that's not true. No, yeah, there was this in this film as well. I'm not sure if they have any scenes, all three together, in, but, I mean, they don't in evening either. Right. Right. Um, yeah, no, it was just, it was it was nice to, to see them. They seem to have, like, real genuine affection for each other. Yes. That's kind I of... think that relationship and the scenes with those two were some of the most powerful. Yeah, I do too. I do too. For sure. Um, and Glenn Close's performance is really, really wonderful. Yeah. She's very good. Yeah. You feel, I mean, it's so sad. Yeah. Yeah, she's always so She plays good. Esteban's sister. How did, you, how did you feel about Jeremy Irons as Esteban? Well, again, I just thought he was horribly miscast. You know, they dyed, they dyed him darker to make him look, look South American, but in reality, it just made him look mean. And, you know, he doesn't have, he's a little bit like Daniel Day-Lewis in that he's a powerhouse of an actor, but he doesn't have a lot of warmth going on. Yeah. I mean, he's not necessarily you want to go cozy up to. And so he has a villainous, he he has a sort of a villainous aspect to him in the film where you can't, I mean, you can't get behind him at all. And... So I think the that character is part of the old guard, and he's forced to transition into the new guard and experience all these changes. And he either moves and changes with the times, or he doesn't. And he, you know, he sees his entire world and everything he spent a lifetime struggling to build falling apart. And you, um, I don't know about you, but I don't. I mean, I have not even an ounce of sympathy for him in the film. No, I don't really either. And I think we're supposed to. I think that's maybe one of the problems. Um, exactly. I think we are. And I because I think because the plot has to be so sparse, one, he looks terribly mean. Two, one of the first things you get in the film is this really horrible and brutal rape yep. that he... Um, you know, he rapes this woman by the river and she's, um, she's one of his farmhands and she has, um, she has a baby as a result of the rape who grows up to be uh, fairly high up in the military when the military coup occurs. And, um, you know, he, he seeks his revenge on the family for sure. His, his, uh, his son. And you see him throughout the film. Um, but you know, that doesn't help. You pretty much hate him from the get-go. But I have to say, before that even happens, when he's, you know, at the very beginning, when he's supposed to be a young man wooing the older daughter, Clara's older sister, you're just like, ooh, that guy. Right. I mean, you don't get any sense of, you know, a, a youthful guy who has, you know, his life ahead of him with you know, a beautiful young wife, and I think you're supposed to get all that, and you don't. Part of the problem is you're coming in so much time, you have to cast an older actor. Right. So you don't capture that sort of youth aspect of it. Um, but yeah, it's a dead work. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's part of it, too, that, like, that rape scene, it's so haunting in the fact that, like, it's that is one of the few scenes that actually, again, it's like horrible to watch, but at the same time, it's effective in the way that they chose 
to do it because like you see him see her and you know the look of recognition like i have to run you see her yeah you see her turn to run you know he's on a horse so of course he's gonna catch up to her because she's just running and you know he jumps off the horse you know is down on top of her and like you she just kind of gives in she doesn't say a word it's just like this is happening, right. you know, like you see the look on her face. That's one of the few scenes in this movie that really just like, it's all there and it's not fun to watch, but at the same time, it's, no. it's effective in that way. It's it's done in a way that... And like, it's very effective in that it establishes that he, I mean, there are, she is his, one of his farmhands. Right. They are not people. They are possessions. Right. And uh, as it does establish that for sure. I think it happens so early on without any time with him as a character that you just don't give a shit moving forward right. about anything bad that happens to that guy. Right. And, um, you know, how do you get around that? Right. I don't know. I don't know if it's about casting somebody really likable. Um, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know if you can get past it. It said online that William Hurt was the first choice for that role. Interesting. I don't know. He, uh, I'm not sure if he would have been any better or not. He's, you know, he's not, no. he's not British. So I think that, that part of it, go, I mean, he's still very white, but <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. He, uh. Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, the casting, casting's just rough. Jeremy Irons had previously worked with Merrill in French Lieutenant's Woman, and he'd actually, he'd worked with Glenn Close, too, and actually won an Oscar for Reversal of Fortune, so he got to reunite with both oh, yeah. of them. So they must have had positive um, experiences working with him in order to reunite. You know, I can see why this would be appealing to any of the actors. Like, you know, again, that same thing of, like, we've talked about this before, I think with maybe before and after that, like, you see the people involved and you go, okay, yeah, you know, maybe not the the greatest script. Oh, yeah, script. you read the book. Right, yeah, true. It's just stunning. The book is stunning, really. And I, um, I, I actually read it, oh, gosh, it was part of our, it was part of our reading in high school. I was think it really? I read it, yeah, I think it was my sophomore, my sophomore year. Yeah, and um, I haven't read it since, and when we revisited the movie, I started reading it again. I'm about a third through. But, you know, it stuck with me um, all these years. The first the first sentence of the book is, um, Barabbas came to us by sea. And you just don't ever forget the first line of the book. Right. And it's, um, it's, a, it's a big dog um, that was belonged to Clara's uncle that um, kind of got, when he passed away, they, they brought his body home and the dog is sort of mangled and mud strewn and starved and um, Clara takes him under her wing and, and raises it and it becomes this almost sort of mythical beast in size and stature and, um, and it sets the tone for the whole book. It really does have a, a fantasy aspect to it that's really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, where, where do you rank this? Where do I rank this? Yeah. I'm going to put this, let's see. I think I'm going to put this second to last in both, in both of my lists. Um, I'm going to rank it. Okay, What's your so, last? Uh, in performances, I have Holmesman last just because she's not in very much. And movies, I have right. be before and after last. I think this was maybe yeah. slightly better than before and after. I don't know. It's hard to tell. I I would rank it maybe higher. I need to look at my list. Sorry, guys. I'm not keeping up very well with my list. And I definitely keep it pretty... I think I'm right there with you in terms of where it belongs in terms of the film itself. Yeah. I have mine... Uh, so I'll put my both my lists in the show notes here. Um, but I have this ranked in thir 13 out of 14 in both categories, personally. But... Yeah. You know, something's got to be at the bottom. That doesn't mean that it's a bad performance. doesn't even mean that it's a bad movie. It's just subjective, and it's just, you know, they can't all be number one, so that's the way it goes. Um, it's definitely a creature of the 90s. Yeah. 
Yeah. It did it did do okay. Um it there's a couple places where they talk about the budget for this movie and so there's a couple different figures. There's one that said it was about 25 million dollars to make this movie, another where it said it was about 40 million to make this movie. Um it only grossed about 6 million in the United States, but it grossed over 55 million in Europe. So either way, it definitely made money. Um when you factor in the global box office it just didn't God, can it, you imagine if that movie was made today it would cost so much more money than that yeah i mean oh, even yeah. if the budget was 40 million that's like that's like a small indie at this point right that's crazy yeah six, 40 million dollars wouldn't get you the the five leads for a movie like this yeah no but that's scary um you know it's I, I was surprised because most of the critics, you know, most of the critics reviews that I read were not positive. Most of them were, were pretty critical. And yet the movie has almost a seven out of 10 on um, IMDb, which is pretty decent. Again, I don't tend to look at, um, I haven't looked at Rotten Tomatoes, although I'm looking at a trivia thing here that says it's got um, uh, 29% rotten rating. So that's pretty bad. So on Rotten Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a, pretty low number but on imdb it's got a pretty high number i feel like there are a lot of other movies of hers that have lower numbers than 6.9 out of 10 which is what this movie has on imdb yeah i tend to look at imdb as like a starter gauge because usually rotten tomatoes the critics the critic score is wrapped up in there right and you know critics are so particular and there are movies i love that critics hate right you know because they're obviously looking at film in a in a different way almost an academic way. And um, I like IMDb because, and I don't know if critics' ratings are tied in there, but I think it's user rating, right? Yeah, I think so. It's a, yeah, so it's a good, it's sort of a good starter gauge just to give you an idea of what kind of, like I feel anything six points, like the six to like 7.5 range, you know that you're not going to have a terrible time watching the movie. Right. But it's going to be okay. Um, and then eight and above, you've got a pretty good shot of it being good. And then, you know, anything below six, you're in really rough territory. Yeah. Although it depends and upon... That's sort of how I use IMDb. Yeah. It sort of, it depends upon, you know, there are those occasional movies too that like are your, will be your favorite, you know, like guilty pleasure movies that are, you know, very, very low, um, on the totem it's pole. True. But, um, it's true. Anyway. So, oh, can I um, can I make a like brief, brief detour? And I would like to take a survey from people who listen and tell me one if you have Netflix, and two if you're irritated that they got rid of their rating system. Oh, I didn't even notice that they had. Yeah, they have. Like they'll tell you if it's a match for you. So, like, I'll open up a movie and it either says new or, like, a 98% match, whatever that means. I don't understand what they're using as criteria to decide if it matches. I think they're telling me it's something that I would like to watch. But, like, the percentage goes up and down from there, but there's no ranking anymore. There's no star system. And I think it's because people weren't watching the low-rated stuff, but there's a reason I don't want to watch the low-rated stuff. Right. And so I like I find it very disorienting. I get on Netflix and I go to search and just browse, and I don't feel like I have any gauge for what I'm looking at anymore. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that they had that they had done this. Hey, here's another. As long as we're as long as we're talking here, here's another thing that maybe somebody can can help us figure out. Maybe I'll even tweet at him and and see if we get a response from him. But on Wikipedia, it says that John Cusack is uh in this what yeah that's what really? he, he's listed on the wikipedia <laughs> for for house of the spirits um he's not listed oh, that's funny he's not listed on imdb he's listed on i guess maybe maybe i'll go watch the credits and see but it says he's listed as a canadian embassy worker and it's not one of those things like if you click on the link to it it takes you to like you know the john cusack's page so it could be just somebody else named john cusack Although I don't know, that's not that common a name. He's he's one of those guys that every once in a while will take questions on Twitter, though. So I'm going to tweet at him and see if he'll answer our question to see if he was in this movie. That seems like 
there's really no possible way that it was him. It's not listed in his IMDb credits. This was after, you know, Say Anything and a lot of other movies. So, like, he was a verifiable star. This wasn't like him just getting his start kind of thing where he might have been, you know, like an extra in this movie. He wouldn't have, he, I don't right. think, he would not have been an extra in this movie unless it was like, you know, he either knew somebody or, you know, jumped at the chance to be, uh, you know, do a cameo in a in a movie with Meryl Streep and Glenn Close and and Jeremy Irons but um so anyway if anybody out there knows if there's more to this story please let us know Meryl Streep podcast at gmail.com um yeah yeah so I don't know I'm ready to move on are you ready to move on yes all right yes so not the best movie not the worst it's just it's a it's a it's there it's fine yeah it's Hello, totally 1993 fine. 1993. Yeah, it was an interesting year for for movies in general, I think, 1993. I would like to, like, know what was so appealing about this project, though. But I guess probably just the other people involved. And I don't know, I'm sure it seemed like something that was a can't miss at the time. But um, all right, well, moving on, we have either Six Degrees or the movies Meryl was almost in. Any uh, preference? Movies Meryl was almost in. All right. Well, we are running out of these, folks. I'm going to have to... We have, like, maybe four weeks left of ones that I that I know of, and then we're going to have to figure out something else to do in this slot because we are running we'll out. We'll create a brand new segment. Yeah. That, and you know what? I, I, people, our listeners, you know, if you have an idea for a segment, email us or, or you know, comment on a post on Instagram or something and let us know what you think we should do. Yeah. Well, the internet says that Meryl Streep was offered the role of Queen Elizabeth um, in the movie Richard III by Ian McKellen, but apparently she turned it down, um, and Annette Bening played it in in the movie. So um, there's that. I don't. I've never seen that. The Richard III that uh, from 1995 with Ian McKellen and Annette Bening. Um, so. But yeah, Meryl has Meryl has never done Shakespeare. No, I mean she's obviously done it off camera. She's right. Done Shakespeare in the Park several times, and she obviously you know trained trained in it. But yeah, no, she's never done. I'm. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm sure will. Would be would be something. So, um, and yeah, then she would have been wonderful in that. Yeah, it would be cool to see her as Queen Elizabeth. You know, um, Maggie Smith was in that too. Robert Downey Jr. Looks cool. I'm going to check this out. Um, yeah, it's very it's very good. It's set in the um, 30s, and they've used sort of a Nazi regime framework for it. All right. And then final final thing, the six degrees. So we did John Hawks last time, the great John Hawks. Were you able to, to think of any? No, I wasn't. And then... But I didn't try very hard. I'm not gonna lie. That's all going on. <laughs> yeah, you have it. I was like, I was like John Hawks. I don't have anything. <laughs> I think he. I think. Well, I finally came up with Lincoln. Wasn't he in Lincoln? He was in Lincoln. Yes. Yeah. And um, well, and I came up with that as a film, and then was like, I don't remember. Surely somebody in that film has been in a Meryl Streep movie. You know, the only one I can think of is Tommy Lee Jones. But that's, I mean, he definitely was in it. He's been in multiple movies with Meryl Streep, so that counts. Yeah, so I only got as far as the film. I can't say I accomplished the assignment. Okay. No, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, I thought of a few. Uh, I know there's there's probably lots, actually, because he's such a, you know, character actor who's been around a lot. Um, he's in a he's in a Denzel Washington movie I really love called American Gangster. I love that movie. Oh, yeah. Um, it's so good. And he of Denzel was of course in uh, Manchurian Candidate with Meryl. Um, let's see. He did. Oh, I thought of another one just a bit ago. See, now I am going on his IMDb. I didn't do this before. Have Jennifer Lawrence and Meryl Streep ever done a film together? No, no, right? No, not yet. I'm I'm guessing at some point they will, but not yet. I would yet. think so. You can see why I assume they have. I'm like, surely they have. Yeah. Um, oh, I know what it was. Low Down was a movie he did with Glenn Close. So that actually connects to this. And Elle Fanning, uh, Peter Dinklage was in that too. 
Um, I have not seen that. Yeah, it was an indie that came down a few years ago that had it was it was good yeah. and it had a had a lot of buzz. I'm a big fan of the television show Eastbound and Down, which he was in. It, this is not a connection to Meryl Streep. Oh, yeah. Um, that. <laughs> It it is just such a filthy like uh, you know oh it's it's one of my guilty pleasures not because I'm embarrassed by it but because you have to be careful who you're watching this show in front of but he is <laughs> he plays the lead uh, actor Kenny Powers uh, long suffering brother in that have you seen have you seen Eastbound okay. and Down No I know what it is I've never watched an episode It's you know, there's something about it, like, it, when it came out, you know, I saw the, like, poster and the DVD and everything, and it looked like, why why would I enjoy this in any way? Like, it was not a, an appealing poster. It kind of looked <laughs> dumb. But it is so funny once you, you know, if you're into that kind of humor, it is unbelievable. Yeah. It is so funny. Um, I'll tell you, I love the song, Eastbound and Down. Oh. You know, that they used in... Uh... Oh, now that I've brought it up, I'm not going to be... It's with um, Sally Field and Burt Reynolds. Oh, Smokey, Smokey and the Bandit? Antique Gleason. Yes, Smokey and the Bandit. Oh, okay. Yep. Have you ever heard the song? No, I don't think so. No. Oh, it's fantastic. It's like pure American backwoods country fun. Huh. Interesting. I actually... Yeah. The, one of my... YouTube it. One of my favorite podcasts, see, now we're on this whole weird tangent about Eastbound and Down, but one of my favorite podcasts these days is a is a show called Heavyweight. And um, I uh-huh. don't I don't know how the host would, you know, think of think of the show. Um, I always think of it as a show about like reconciliations. Basically, what he does is he tries to to mend relationships of people who've like not spoken to each other in 20 years or 30 years. If there's been like something that um kind of happened that made them not want to talk to each other the host who is this like he kind of plays it up on the show of course but is this kind of like awkward guy tries to be like you know the mediator the the very like you know bring together two things and it sounds like a simple premise but it's really it's really a moving show it's it's one of those shows that just about every episode is so moving of it again it's called heavyweight um and the reason that i bring it up is because the most recent episode was about a stuntman named named Kenny Powers. He was one of the, the you know, stuntmen of, of Hollywood back in the day. And it was about his mm-hmm. relationship with this with this other guy who, who ended up kind of filling in for him at times. I won't go into the whole thing. Just listen to the heavyweight. But part of the episode then went on to discuss, because Kenny Powers, the, the stuntman, died a number of years ago. So it, it's all about, you know, did the show know that they were, you know, because they say that a lot of the things that this actor says on the show are like verbatim quotes from him so they say like was it influenced by his personality and they they kind of think it was but the show was non-committal basically because they didn't want to get sued you know they didn't want they didn't want to have to to acknowledge oh yeah we based it on this person and now we probably owe you money but um anyway watch the show because it's if if you're into foul humor because it's one of those shows that just about every three four words is going to be something really harsh so don't watch it in front of your kids but um it's fun okay. um yeah cool so what are we doing next time meryl we are doing julie and julia yeah we thought we'd um lighten things up a bit and yeah. we're going into the 2000s yeah so we're going to do 2000s, then after that we'll do 2010s, and then we've got another tribute episode, which we will announce um, soon. We'll probably announce both the 2010 movie and the tribute episode uh, next time. We'll we'll figure all that yeah. out and get back to everybody. Um, in the meantime, follow us on Instagram, Meryl Street Podcast. We'll get you there. Uh, send us an email if you want at uh, MerylStreetPodcast at gmail.com. And uh, thanks for listening, as always. Tell a friend about us. That's something else you could do. Leave a review, um, you know, all these yes, things. Yes, please. But uh, we appreciate you listening, even if you don't do any of those things. We appreciate you being there. So thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. That's all.